I, uh, I'm going to be venturing off the notes for a little bit, but I'll come right back to it. Fair enough? It doesn't matter. I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> I talked to the teens this last week, and I said, one of the things we do in science is you backwards engineer. You see the way a, a spiral galaxy is, is laid out, and you see how the waves go, and you say, how could that have happened? You see the way light shifts, and you say the color shift and the light shift, and you say, let's backward engineer that. How could that have happened? You do the same with rocks. You do the same with fossils. You do the same with whatever you find. Well, one of the questions we have to ask is, why is it that with all of the imperial might of Rome, we can't name more than a handful of Roman emperors, but that today in the Colosseum in Rome, in the center, stands a huge lit cross. Rome is gone. The empire is gone. But the Christians, they tried to wipe out in the sands of that Colosseum, raised a cross. 2,000 years later, how can you explain this? And I, I used a, a, a wee story just to, to get him into this. I said, you're in a rowboat. You're in the middle of a large lake when a very big wave rocks the boat, seven, eight feet high. doesn't sink you, but it frightens you. And you say, what could have caused the weight? Now, we call that, in science, we call that gaming. We sit down and we game the situation. We go, we, we throw out everything from the kind of reasonable to the completely stupid. And then we arrange them, which is most reasonable, which is completely bonkers. That's a scientific term. I don't know if you're familiar with bonkers. And so we could say things like an underwater earthquake, reasonable, an underwater explosion. Maybe Cletus is over there somewhere fishing with dynamite. Fair enough. A passing boat that none of us saw. Little less likely, but possible. Uh, wind. It can happen, but normally it takes a few hundred miles to build up that kind of a wave. And we go through all of this thing. Here's the thing. You and I are riding a wave that started 2,000 years ago. How do we explain this? A myth? Sorry, but myths don't do that. Myths don't carry us this far. Myths don't change lives like this. Myths don't make you get up on a nice Sunday morning and come into a building and sing about Jesus, only Jesus. We're... Something happened. What about to the apostles? Think about Peter. We're coming back to the notes now. Are you happy? Uh, there you are. And again, do we really care about their happiness? That's all I'm asking. You know, yes, we do. We do. We do because they have control of the microphones. And they could put cartoons or something on the back. Not that I'm asking. Uh, that's our suggesting. Something happened to Peter. We see Peter denying Jesus three times. Hey, wait a minute. I knew you. You know that guy that's on trial. No, I don't. I don't know him. I'm pretty sure you do. I think I saw you and him together. I didn't know him, never seen him. She comes back the third time. You were with him, and he curses. He says, I don't know the man. But then the next time we really get a good look at Peter, he's changed. There's that brief time where he, he runs to the tomb, but he hasn't changed yet. The women, and God gave women the job of saying he is risen, he is risen indeed, and gave women the job of going to talk to the others and saying, you tell the apostles. 
So they go and tell the apostles, and the apostles went, no. Peter didn't believe it. He and John run to the tomb. John, being younger and more fat, gets there soonest, but he stops. Peter, older, slower, but not smarter, doesn't stop, runs right into it. Looks about, well, wonder where he is. Doesn't even consider risen to be a possibility. But then the next time we see Peter, he is standing up preaching before a group of people, telling them, you killed the Christ. Let's take a look in Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What happened to Peter? Where did he go? How did he go from, I never saw the guy, to you took him, you are wicked, you killed him, God raised him, and you're in trouble. Something changed Peter's personality. Easter happened. Peter had always declared Jesus as the Son of God. He had always said he was willing to die for Jesus. I have no reason to doubt that. None at all. He certainly showed his willingness to die for Christ when he charged right into the midst of an armed mob with his sword drawn, ready to defend him and meet his own death. But Peter was still Peter. Back then, he was still Peter. I mean, he may have been willing to die for Jesus, but he showed no evidence of changing for Jesus. Think about that. He was willing to die for him, but not willing to change his life for him. Because sometimes dying is easier than living. Sometimes dying is easier than the day-to-day -day grind of getting up and doing it again. Then there was a meeting. A little meeting. Only, it, it's only mentioned by one of the gospel writers. And it's only mentioned very obliquely. Jesus meets Peter alone. It's in Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 34. And saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. That's all we know. Somewhere, Jesus made sure he met with the guy that had denied him three times in his hearing. It wasn't like Peter was off in another county. He was in the room where the trial was going on. The Bible, in fact, says that the third time Jesus turned and looked at him. He has a private meeting. Do you want to be in that meeting? Do you want to be Peter in that meeting? Not me. You know he was looking for a good shellacking. I mean, he, he just turned in God and God's back and now says, I want to meet with Peter. That's not going to be good, but it was good. I don't know what he expected, but we can backward engineer the effects on Peter and see that that meeting must have offered him forgiveness, hope, and acceptance, and love from the risen Lord. More than that, Jesus even gave him a great job. He said, you love me? 
feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. These are my people. You take care of them. The very person that had denied him, he said, I trust you. People, as I've often told you, the scandal is not that Jesus was God. The scandal is that God is like Jesus. Forgiving, saying, you blew it. You blew it big time, buddy, but I love you. Tell you what, got a big job for you. You take care of all my people. Who does that? God does that. I don't know where you are right now in your life, but you need to meet that God. You need that God. Maybe not the God you've met sometimes in your lives at churches, but you need to meet this one. Peter then stands on the day of Pentecost and confronts the assembly with the crime that they've committed against God, and they in turn respond in, dis rather, yeah, respond in despair, and Peter gives them hope. Take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't ask them to do anything big. He said, repent. Stop acting like you've been acting. Be baptized. Change. Wash yourself clean. They understood that baptism thing. It was a big part of Jewish society. The mitzvah and the mitzvahot, the, the little places they would go to ritually wash to be clean of their sins. He says, cleanse your sins. Be clean. Change. Be different. And Peter was different, and so were they. Take a look at what happened to them just a few verses later, the kind of people they were, starting in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. <coughs> Excuse me. I cannot turn from a mic that's latched to my face. They devoted themselves. That's not in the Bible. I just said that. By the way. Now, back to the Bible. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone is filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Now watch, look at the difference. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't you want to be in that group? Whatever needs you have, taken care of. Whatever I've got is yours. What you've got is mine. We're going to work with each other. We're going to love each other. We're going to forgive each other. We're going to lift up each other. Congratulations. You have found that community. This is a church of open arms, empty hands. We will not grasp what we have. We will give. We will share. We will walk with you. And that's why I brought up 24 families. Because the love is attracting. Easter is attracting. Jesus is attracting. It's not the attractiveness of the minister. You, we all, hey, can I get an amen, Steve? There we go. I knew I could count on you, Steve. Um, the, um, it, it's not the attraction of, of a great facility. It's, not, it, it's the attraction of love. Forgiveness. You messed up? Got it. You're forgiven. Let's give you a job. That's because of the risen Lord. A wave took all of us. 
All of us need forgiveness here. There's not a holy person in the room. We would all like to be. In fact, let's talk about that. Easter answers the two most fundamental questions we have. Those questions that live in the depths of our spirit and haunt us from the day we're conscious till the day we die. The first one is, am I okay? A child is born. The nurses check them head to toe. They even have a scale that they, they measure. You know, how many toes, what's, what's, you know, what's going on here? And they'll, they'll, they'll read out the, the measurement to the scale. And the mama's off to the side saying, are they all right? But the mama's also asking, did I do okay? Did I do all right? Every boy and girl on the playground wonders. Are they smart enough, pretty enough, interesting enough, athletic enough, good enough? Are they okay? So God gives us things like Psalm 139 that says, Before you were born in the womb, God says, I knew you. I saw you. I formed you before your body showed up. I knit you together in your mother's womb. I know everything about you and I love you. You can't go anywhere and leave me behind. I'll go with you. But we still have questions. Yes, we were in his thoughts and his heart before we were born, but we know we were also in our mom and dad's thought before we were born, and, and sometimes we, they, they told us we didn't do good. We weren't okay. What about God? Question's still out there. Sometimes it sounds too good to be true when God says he loves us. So let me just answer the question for you. I've come to a certain age where I've found myself watching Antiques Roadshow and paying attention. <laughs> it's a frightening time of life. I, I know that Cracker Barrel cannot be too far away from my future. <laughs> so what happens now? Well, I watch it and they'll say, you see this thing? That's worth $20,000. And I'm thinking, I'd give you $10 not to put it in my house. <laughs> but is it worth the $20,000, $30,000, whatever they say it is? Yes, because that's what somebody would pay for it. You watch Pawn Stars, and somebody comes in and says this. They'll say, you know, this is worth $5,000. And the guy will say, it's worth 100 maybe. Why? Because it's only worth what somebody will pay for it. Classic cars are the same. House you know, you may love your house, but it's only worth what somebody will pay for it. So we come to Easter. God knew you would always wonder what you were worth and if you were okay. Always. You would always have that niggling doubt in your head because the slanderer, which is what the name Satan means, the slanderer would be whispering in your ear constantly, you're not good enough. They're not good enough. God's not good enough. You're not good enough. So God had to find a way to tell you that you were good enough, that you were okay, that you're good enough to be in God's family. He knew that his enemies would be against him on this, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They knew, he knew that they would find some sore spots in your soul and push on those spots. And so he sent his son to prove that you're okay. He gave you his son. That's what he paid for you. 
I have talked to God very bluntly about this and said, God, frankly, you overpaid. I'm not worth that at all. And in my head, I see him going, I know, but that's not how God thinks. Instead, God says, you're worth what I say you're worth. God died for you too. It's not like Jesus was on the cross and saying, I'm going to die for all humanity and, oh, well, I'll get that one too. No, God wanted you to never be in doubt of your value. Ever. We also believe in this church that everybody we meet has that value. Red and yellow, black and white, poor and rich, old and young, Democrat, Republican, and confused. <laughs> we all have that value. Therefore, we will treat you with that value. The second question is, am I up to this? I, I love Mark Duckworth, and I love him leading worship here, and he does a fantastic job, and we're very grateful. And every so often, he rolls the dice and takes a real big gamble, and he says, Patrick, will you play? And suddenly, I can't remember any chords I've ever learned. I, I was, this may surprise you, but I have talked to so many performers and ministers and alike, and the vast majority of them will tell you they are terrified. They love doing it but they're terrified. The question, am I up for this? Am I all right? Can I do this? I took Cami once with me when we drove halfway across the country, I guess third of the way across the country, to a place where I was going to speak to a very large room. And she knew I didn't really want to do it, but she went with me. And when I got out of the truck, I just leaned against the truck and just put my head on the truck. And she said, she didn't say what. She know, she's been married to me a long time. She just kind of patted my back, and I said, everything in me is screaming, just get in the truck and drive. Don't do this. You see, I have those questions too. Am I up for this? Am I okay for this? I don't... At, at weddings, doesn't that happen? The bride's wondering. The guy's wondering. The parents are convinced they're not. And the minister is even wondering, can I do this right? The florist is wondering, am I okay? Can I do this? Everybody has the question. Am I able to face what I'm facing? If it's job loss, death, disability, the end of a marriage, unplanned pregnancy, the death of, of, of a loved one, um, growing older, being alone, whatever it is, can I face this? And if we ended the Easter story at the cross, we wouldn't have anything to complain about. We know we're worth more than diamonds because of what Jesus paid for us. But the central fact, listen to me carefully, the central fact of history is not the cross. The central fact of history is that the cross is empty and that the tomb is empty. And that gives us the answer to our second question. Am I up for this? Jesus knows we're afraid that we're not up for the task, whatever it is, whatever that task might be. And so he says, I'm with you, always, even into the end of the age, not going anywhere, Jesus says. 
And he's not just gone from the tomb, he's present with you. Take a look at these verses out of Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 6. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So can you face whatever it is that you've got to face? Can you make it through whatever pain you're experiencing? Can you survive, even thrive, in ways that would make the devil's jaw drop? Yes. Look how Peter... Peter, we're back to Peter. Look how he says it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until... Whoa, through faith are shielded by God's power. I want to stop for a minute. Just hold that slide. What are we shielded from? Death, pain, disease, loss? No, no, no. We are shielded from being alone. He is with us. He is going to walk through us. He is going to give us power, and nobody will take that from us. Shielded by faith, by God's power, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Am I okay? Look what he paid for you. That's what you're worth. Can I handle this? Can I get through this? He said, I'm going to make sure you do. I'm going to stay with you the whole time. Remember my son once, my, my, I was working in my office. My wife called me and she said, your, your son just vaulted over the handlebars and he's got a cut chin and I think it needs stitches. And I'm hearing him off in the background. He's, I don't know, five or six at the time going, no, it doesn't. <laughs> it's completely fine. You know, I'm healing, as, you know, that sort of thing. And I said, bring him down. Came down and he had the standard cut. Every, every kid has it that rides a bike. And I looked at it and went, need stitches. No. Yes, we do. So we go to the hospital, walk in. Duncan's always been a bit of a daredevil, so he kind of had his own wing, his own mug, everything ready for him sat down and the PA came in and said, now I'm going to have to, to give you a couple of stings down here to numb it. And Duncan said, will it hurt? And he said, no. And I went, I looked at the guy. <laughs> I said, Duncan, this is going to hurt. The PA is going, you know. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm, I was expecting the needle to come right at me any minute. But I, I said, Duncan, this is going to hurt. There's not a thing we can do to make it not hurt. It's going to hurt but it will only hurt for a while. And he nodded. And I said, it might help if you close your eyes and don't see it. And he said, 
will you be here? And I said, I'll put my hand over your eyes. And I'll put my other hand over your heart. We can do this. We did it. Did it hurt him? Yes. But he made it because he wasn't alone. And God looks at us and says, can you make it? Yes. Because there's nobody on the cross. And the tomb is empty. And that same power is with us. The cross is empty. Christ is with us. The grave is empty for the Lord is risen. And that answers the big questions of our heart. And it gives us hope. Let me explain what we are about to do. We are about to take communion. Now, if you're a visitor here, you may not know this. So once you listen up, we do this every Sunday. We do it in a variety of ways. Sometimes we pass the trays. Sometimes we come to stations. And today is a station or table day. There are tables here, and there are tables in the back as well. And there are tables up in the balcony. At least, are they all? yeah, both sides of the balcony up there. Something special we want you to do. First of all, everybody's invited. When we take the bread, we are remembering the body of Christ. When we take the little cup of juice, we are remembering the blood of Christ. We are remembering what he paid for us, what he says we are worth. But we are also going to do something else today. You may have been in fellowships where the communion is very, very quiet and very reverent. I love that. I absolutely love it. We do that often here. Today, it's going to be noisy. When Jesus walked through the door and said, Hi, guys, I've risen. They didn't sit around going, He is risen indeed. <laughs> it was a bit noisy. It is a family gathering. Now, in a moment, we're going to have a prayer. At the end of that prayer, there will even be a counter up here for eight minutes. That's plenty of time for what we're about to do. These are ugly on purpose, but they're not going to be ugly at the end of the eight minutes. We've asked you to bring flowers. If you did not bring flowers, flowers have been purchased by the church so that you can have some. They're on both sides. I'll tell you what, I'm going to do this or I'm going to kick that right at Nancy in a bit, and that would be awful. Uh, that's one over there as well. Take a flower after you've had a chance at communion or before, however, and weave it into the crosses. We did this last year, and the people overwhelmingly asked me to do it again this year. It's a symbol of death to life, ugliness to beauty. And then after serve, and by the way, yes, you can take pictures. Yes, yes, you can, you can but if you want to take like family pictures and the like, wait till after services are over, and because we'll have more time then. At the end of the eight minutes, we're going to have a couple of songs, then we'll be dismissed. We're going to leave the crosses in situation, in situ, until people are done with the pictures. And then Nancy and I are going to help the teens know how to carry these out. The teens have already been tasked, getting them out, and they'll set them on the front so that the community can also see the testimony of death to life. Are we all together? Now, who gets to take communion? Anybody. Any age, any church background, you are welcome. If you believe in the risen Lord, we want you to participate. I'm going to ask you to read with me a statement of faith to God. At the end of this, I'll say our prayer, and then we will come to the table. Would you please stand and read with me? 
Lord, the resurrection of your Son has given us new life and renewed hope. Help us to live as new people in pursuit of the Christian ideal. Grant us wisdom to know what we must do, the will to want to do it, the courage to undertake it, the perseverance to continue to do it, and the strength to complete it. Jesus, you have overcome death and conquered every fear I could imagine. Help me to live each day remembering that you are alive, that you are bigger than anything or any situation, and that your power is real. We choose today and forevermore to walk with him who walks with us. Let us pray. Fathers, we take this bread, we thank you for the body of Christ. And as we take this cup, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you that we are now his body and that his blood has adopted us into his, your family. And we thank you for the presence of the risen Lord every day of our lives. In the name of Jesus, all who agree say, Amen. Come to the